Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Like I said, we'll be in First uh, Kings chapter 10. Uh, we finished last time looking at the latter portion from, uh, of chapter 9. Uh, and we often come to the question and, and seek to be able to try and understand. And we read passages and we say, is Solomon a, a good king or is he a bad king? And we fit either in one of those two categories. There's no middle ground. There's no other option. But uh, we, as we discussed last time, uh, the focus then becomes about works. And we think we assume that if he's a good king, then good things happen. If a, he's a bad king, bad things happen. And we don't. That's our formula that we look at. And we look at God as merely as someone who, who gives, takes away based on the actions of what we do or perform. Uh, but there's no grace in that equation. The focus is then not on grace of what God has done and what God does for us. And when we m- remove grace from the equation, and what we look at then is just works-based salvation. And how we read the scriptures then just becomes about works. And we have no hope if we are left to those devices. And chapter 10, we need to remember that principle about not looking at these portions of Scripture merely through the lens of works, but to understand them through um, grace, that we see Solomon in his prime, in his prestige, but he falls and fails miserably. Uh, You know, Adam lived in the perfect garden and he still fell. You could then say that Solomon was one of the next men to be able to live in the perfect conditions and where he would thrive. Um, You know, a good upbringing from his father David, um, you know, writing many of the scriptures. Uh, But here, uh, even sin is a battle that uh, Solomon has to fight, a sin not that is the circumstances that you find yourselves in externally, but sin is something internal that you have to find. And if we look backwards from the New Testament, Solomon um, appears several times in the New Testament, two which we'll look at this week and, and again next week. But he's using it as an example. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus is teaching and he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Here Solomon is used as an example in the New Testament. And his example is that even Solomon at his height, and I would say that chapter 10 is one of the heights of his, his kingly reign, of his wisdom on display from all the nations, Um, You know, he's had different moments, chapter 8, with his prayer and and aspects of his his construction, the wisdom that goes through there. But here, Jesus used the example, and he points to Solomon and says, Solomon is nothing compared to these lilies of the field. And so it's a less than. Here you see Solomon, and and he's less than the lilies. Um, it's, It's comparative. Solomon is lesser than the glory of the flowers. The beauty of creation is greater than Solomon in his finest clothes. However, what we're going to see this week is uh, the other example that we find in the scriptures. And it helps us understand this passage today. 
And that's found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, where Jesus, speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So again, here, the, the, the lesser greater analogy, the comparative illustration is here again. Instead of lilies of the field, Jesus is saying there's something greater than Solomon's wisdom here, right before you. That, uh, the whole passage found in, in Matthew chapter 12 uh, goes like this. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So here these religious leaders come to Jesus and they come to seek a sign. And he explains that the only sign they're going to get is the sign of Jonah, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But he finishes by giving these two examples from Old Testament Gentiles who responded to something. That is, lesser, they did not have the greater, they had the lesser. And, the, and they will rise up and they will judge and condemn this generation. The parallel there is first with the people of Nineveh, the men of Nineveh. They're going to rise up, judge this generation. Why? Because they repented. They heard the preaching of Jonah and they repented. But he says something greater than Jonah is here. Their reaction should be far greater than this repentance of the people of Nineveh. They didn't repent from the sign of Jonah. They repented from the preaching of Jonah. And so their example here is they're looking for a sign. And Jesus says, you'll get a sign. But you still haven't repented from the preaching. Something greater than Jonah is here. And then the queen of the south. She's going to rise up in the judgment and the generation condemn it. Why? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Because something, in Jesus' point, is she's going to rise up in the end because something greater than Solomon is here. With this in mind, we need to look at this passage and understand what specifically the Queen of the South did. We find this in 1 Kings chapter 10. Right at the very beginning, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Now, Sheba, this region, we don't know much about it. Um, they're known specifically for their trade. If you look throughout the scriptures, in Isaiah chapter 60, you see the, the camel shall cover you, the young camels from Midian and Ephah, and those of Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news and praises to the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 20. What use is, a, is frankincense that comes from Sheba or sweet cane that, from that distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. 
So mainly there's this uh, region, Sheba, and they're known for their spices, gold, precious stones. Again, in Ezekiel chapter 27, uh, Sheba and Rabbah traded with you, exchanged your wares, the best kinds of spices and precious stones and gold. So here this, this region of Sheba is known for their trade and what they, they sell. We've, we referenced this back in, in Psalm 72, the psalm either written to Solomon uh, or by Solomon. Uh, but here the, the, may the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribu- tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Or in verse 15, long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and the blessings invoked for him all day. So here, uh, the Queen of Sheba, Jesus referred to her as the Queen of the South, so we know where she is. She's south of where they are. Um, most likely, it's modern-day Yemen uh, on the Arabian Peninsula, uh, right down there at the very bottom. Uh, actually, there's archaeological digs that have proven uh, the connection between Sheba and Jerusalem. There's a clay she- uh, seal that was found in a biblical city of Bethel, and basically, it shows that the, the trade actually moved up in this region. Sheba was in a very large um, reign during this, this time. Uh, they cross over with the, the reign of Solomon in this period of time. Uh, during, and then later on, they, they lost, uh, as new trade routes t- took place, they really lost their place as the center of trade. You know, um, right now where the heart is, they were able to transport a lot through through camels and other sources like this. But here we find that the Queen of Sheba is right down the very south, right in her palace or her kingdom, and she finds out she hears about Solomon somehow. Mainly, she hears about the word of Lord. You see that in verse one there, when she heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. So here. She's, she's down in Sheba, she's reading the local newspaper, whatever it might be, and she hears somehow about what Solomon is doing. Now we hear about the report later uh, in this passage, but here they come, she comes specifically for the name of the Lord. And we see again, all of these things in this portion of scripture in chapter 10 are, are really a heightening of all the prophecies that have been mentioned and prayed for for Solomon. In Psalm 72, in in First Kings chapter three, in in First Second Samuel chapter seven, um, all of these things—the prayer that he prays in chapter eight, where he prays—and one of the things he says, "Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people of Israel comes from a far land for your name's sake, and they hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this house here in heaven, your dwelling place, according to." For all the which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the people on the earth may know your name and fear you, and do your people Israel, they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So here the Queen of Sheba has heard about Solomon, specifically what the name of the Lord, and she has come from afar. Now, what does Solomon grant to her, as we see later in this passage? She, she answers, he gets answers all that she asked for. She receives all those things that the Solomon gives in verse 13. King Solomon gave to the queen all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given to her by the bounty of King Solomon. So here we see a fulfillment of this prayer that people from a distant land who hear about God come here and ask 
there and they will get what they ask for. But again, this is a promise that flows through not merely back to speaking of Solomon, but exactly the promise made by God to Abraham in Genesis, where, where the nation is set apart. Abraham is set apart, a holy nation is set apart, not merely to be able to bless themselves, but they are to be a blessing that other nations would be blessed. This is what Paul explains as kind of the mystery of the gospel from long ages. But here, this, that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Queen Sheba hears about this, and she comes across this article or something. She hears about Solomon, she hears about the name of the Lord. But this isn't anything major up to this point. The fact that she hears about this is nothing major. But the fact that she comes to speak with Solomon, meet Solomon, hear and engage the report is really where this comes and heightens this. You know, the Queen of Sheba heard of the famous Solomon concerning the name of the Lord and she came. And she came to test him with hard questions. That's exactly what Jesus highlights in Matthew chapter 12. That here she will rise up in judgment to, with the generation to get out before she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She not merely just heard about it, but she came to be able to test it. That here we see her desire to be able to find out the truth. Again, when we think about the scribes and the Pharisees in chapter 12, they're not willing to be able to discern the truth or seek further. But again, this is an answer to Solomon's request in, in 1 Kings chapter 3 when he's asking for wisdom and the Lord turns around and tells him, because you have asked for this wisdom to be able to rule, and you not ask for yourself long life or riches or life for your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, now I do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind that's, that, so that none like you has seen before, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for riches and honor, so another, no other king shall compare to you all of your days. And if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. What we see is we see this all throughout chapter 10 of all of these things coming together. All the kings of the earth in verse 23 exalted Solomon because of his riches and his wisdom. No other king shall compare to you. You see this throughout this as well. In verse 10. The second half of verse 10, the second half of verse 12. That nothing like this has happened before and nothing will happen like this again. So Queen Sheba hears about, Queen of Sheba hears about what this is and she makes that long trek and journey to be able to go meet Solomon for himself. So what did she come to do? The first thing that we see in verses 2 to 5 is that she came to be able to test this, test Solomon's wisdom. Verses 2 to 5. She came to Jerusalem with a very great uh, routine uh, and camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. She came to Solomon. She told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, 
the food off his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered to the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. So she comes to be able to test him. And she does not merely just ask one question, but multiple questions. And any question that rolls off her tongue, he is able to answer. Now what happens in Judges is Solomon, uh, Samson is there. And Samson poses riddles to be able to answer the riddles, and they can't answer the riddles that are given to them. But this is the reverse. Here the riddles are given to Solomon to be able to test, to discern it, and every single question has an answer. She investigates what she heard about him, what she read on the paper, where it came from. Now again, where does this wisdom come from? This wisdom comes from God. Remember back to chapter 4. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, the breadth and mind like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all other people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezrahite, and Heman, and Kelko, and Drada, and the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees and cedar that is in Lebanon and to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke of also the beasts and the birds and the reptiles and of the fish. And the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and all the kings of the earth who has heard his wisdom. And Solomon here is able to be able to answer all these questions. I mean, just, just think about that for a small amount. We really specialize in one particular field in our life, maybe, you picture, um, it's hard to be able to picture this now with uh, phones and devices. You type a question into Google and Google goes and searches all of the, the content on the internet and tries to find a, a, an answer for you, for you to be able to delve through and be able to research. But even just, you know, an encyclopedia set, you know, just all the wisdom that is contained in, in one set. But yet how limited they are how outdated they become. In our house growing up, we had one that was quite old, um, before the turn of the century in the 20th century. So uh, it was very hard to do school projects when it came to World War I or World War II, or even when you look up flight. You turn to flight, and it speaks of the flight of a bumblebee. And... That's all it has because it's dated. But here Solomon is wise that he's able to answer all of her questions. This is exactly what we read about in Ecclesiastes. That the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, said the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Right at the very conclusion of that book, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails, firmly fixed 
that are collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, and every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's how he finishes the book. You can study many things, and he was wise in all things, but it was to summarize the wisdom into one succinct thing. What is it? Fear God. What's the beginning of all wisdom? He says, fear God. And the Queen of Sheba comes and hears and saw the wisdom of Solomon. Not merely just in what he said, giving the correct answers, but in all of his kingdom. In everything, there was delight to be able to see. He was breathless, speechless by the end of it. We discussed, wouldn't it be great to be able to see the temple in all of its glory, Jerusalem in its day, the tall walls, the big stones, the intricate details, the great cost, the enormous pillars. But to also sit down in amongst with the person who helped design and build all of this. To be able to ask the toughest of questions, and yet the answer just comes right off his tongue. Now in my lifetime, I've come across some great minds, people with enormous IQs and memories, to be able to quote things that they'd read once and almost find the page number where it came from seminary teachers or professors who would stand in front of class for a whole week, nothing but a Bible and Calvin's Institutes and go over Calvin's theology, unpacking deep, intricate thoughts. And it's not on bits of paper. (laughs) It's all within their brain. But here, Solomon doesn't even know where to go to find the right answer. He has the right answer. And Queen of Sheba was impressed. But again, this is not some like common peasant farmer. She is probably one of the most educated people in the world. And yet she still acknowledges and knows greatness. Again, the Queen of Sheba. She came from the ends of the earth to hear this wisdom of Solomon. She came. She did not sit back. She came. She tested it. She tested the claim that was before them. Is Solomon the wisest person that has ever lived? Is Solomon's kingdom the greatest kingdom that has ever been? You think about, again, the scribes and the Pharisees. They didn't test the claims of Jesus. They didn't seek to be able to understand his teachings, to go search the scriptures to find out if they're true. Their tests that they tried to come up to be able to ask Jesus were merely just tricks trying to find out ways to be able to find evidence in a case against him. Not to be able to find out truth, but accusations. Trying to make him stumble in his words. But yet, something greater with Solomon was there before their very eyes. But next we see, not merely that Queen of Sheba uh, uh, hears the report, investigates the report, but secondly, she responds to the report. She gives a report back of what she actually saw. 
We see this in verses 6 to 10. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came. My own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. She gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. As she sat back in Sheba, when she was thinking about what this was, she read about all of what Solomon had accomplished, his words, his wisdom, and she said, I can't, that cannot be true. This is unbelievable. And yet when she gets there, she says the report is, is unbelievable. The report is not accurate. There is far greater things that you did. The, the, the report was not an exaggeration. Actually, your kingdom is far greater than I could have ever imagined. That what we see is the impact of her wisdom is not just that she's blown away by the answers that he gives, but she sees the impact of that wisdom in the temple construction, but even this effect on the people. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. She sees this wisdom play out in all the kingdom, in the people that work for Solomon, and she says, your servants are happy. A contrast maybe to hers, a contrast maybe to all the other servants that are around. But here she really renders judgment of what she saw in verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. She is able to be able to see. Now, I don't believe that to some extent does she become a believer. We don't get to see that. That here, what happens is that she says, blessed be the Lord your God. She does not say, he is my God. Them rising up on the day of judgment does not then mean that there are believers who judge. Though you might make some scriptural arguments for a case like that. But Jesus' point is is here, these people are going to be witnesses against you. They heard the preaching of Jonah, they repented. They saw the wisdom of Solomon, and they listened. They were amazed. She came, she tested. And when we think about the Lord who has delighted in you, again, we shouldn't think about this merely in the words of works. Because that delight will soon go away. 
But if we think if the Lord has shown delight in Solomon through grace, then that takes a different meaning and an understanding. A delight because of the promise God gave to David that his son would sit on his throne. I'm not going to take this throne away from your son if he... I'm going to discipline him with the rods of man. I'm not going to take it out of his hands like I did with Saul. Grace. But more specifically, that God placed Solomon on the throne and he is the one who gave him wisdom. All of this wisdom comes not through Solomon. It is all glory goes to God. God gave Solomon wisdom. We read time and time again. But Solomon is on the throne and he has been given wisdom to be able to fulfill God's promises across the plethora of all that has gone before. Why? We're told specifically, Queen Sheba tells us why God placed Solomon on the throne. Again, it's not because Solomon is a man of great character. It is not because Solomon was the wisest person and therefore God just needed to make him a little bit wiser. The reason God placed Solomon on the throne is because God loved Israel. The reason why anything good happens to Israel is not because of Israel. It's because God loved them. We'll see this time and time again. We'll see this next Sunday. But Deuteronomy 7 is a great passage. For you are my holy people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The reason that he brought them out is because God loved them. That is the reason. Not because they were strong, not because they were mighty, not they were obedient or uh, faithful. None of those things. Because God loved them, he chose them. And so too, God loved Israel so much that he sent David's son and gave him wisdom to be able to rule them justly in righteousness. He placed David's son on the throne to administer justice and righteousness. He followed in his father's footstep as David reigned over Israel. David administered justice and equity to all his people. Psalm 72, again that prayer for Solomon as king. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. So why is this all happening? Why does Queen Sheba, Queen of the South, come and and see Solomon? For God's glory, for his purposes, promises. But again, we must get the essence of what Jesus is saying here. It's not merely that someone like Solomon is before you. 
It's not merely that someone with a little bit of wisdom is before you. And you haven't tested, you haven't sought, you haven't praised God for this gift which is given. You haven't recognized God's love in Him uh, giving this gift of uh, wisdom. He says that something greater than Solomon is here. And Solomon's wisdom is nothing compared to the wisdom of Christ. Again, in Ecclesiastes, for the one who pleases God, him, God has given wisdom and knowledge into him. Where does the wisdom come from? It comes from God. Again, you see this later in this chapter in verse 10, in, in chapter 10, verse 24. The whole earth saw the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. Where did this wisdom come from? Which God had put into his mind. Here Solomon is, and the gift of wisdom is given to him. Solomon received wisdom from God. But what we find out about Christ, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, but to those who recall both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and wisdom of God. It's not merely that Christ received knowledge from God. Christ is the wisdom of God. It's not an external thing imparted to him. It is who he is. It's not from, it's of. Or Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and all those in Laodicea and all those who have not said they see me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches and the full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Not external, it is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here, Solomon received wisdom from God, but yet the Pharisees and the scribes couldn't see that it wasn't merely wisdom from God, that Christ is the wisdom of God. So the Queen of Sheba will rise up in that day. Matthew Henry says, the treasures of wisdom are hidden not, hidden not from us, but for us in Christ. The treasures of wisdom are hidden not from us, but for us in Christ. Here, wisdom is found in Christ. And the the scribes and the Pharisees, they missed it. It was right there before their very eyes. They were not able to see All of those things. But yet what you see in the last few verses there in 11 to 13. Is that she came. She tested. And she left. With more than she came. Moreover the fleet of Hiram which brought gold from Ophir brought from Ophir a very great amount of Elmug wood and precious stones, and the king made the Elmug wood supports for the house of the Lord, 
for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. Not so much Elmug wood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land and with her servants. Here she came with questions. And whatever she wanted, Solomon gave. Now we can understand a little bit of what James says, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask for God. God will give it, grant it to you. And we're speaking not merely of just knowing of cedar trees and cypress trees and, and, and anatomy. We're speaking of the hidden riches found in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.